Hello, I'm Bridget Harvey and I'd like to welcome you to Getting Making, a podcast exploring how we make things, collect them, live with them, work with them and care for them. So Maiko Tsumi studied furniture making and Japanese lacquer work in Kyoto before moving to London to study furniture design at the Royal College of Art. While working in the furniture industry, she completed her practice-based PhD, The Poetics of Everyday Objects, and became course leader for MA Designer Maker at Camberwell, where she was until 2020. And she now works in her studio in Camberwell, making objects from found wood, uh, ceramic and Japanese lacquer. But I wanted to speak with her about her approach to making, where it stems from and how it manifests now in a sort of measured approach, engaging deeply with the materials she works with and seeking certain qualities from it. So welcome, Maiko, and thanks for talking to me. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for coming. I'd like you to kind of talk a little bit about your practice and and these conversations have kind of circulated around care and for me the notion of care features really clearly in your practice both in how you work and the things you make or the things you work into but maybe we could start by just you giving some kind of a description of your practice and how you see it. Okay so I have to look at my practice as an overall thing that includes everything I have done in the past 30 years and I have spent the last couple of years intentionally looking at my what my practice might be kind of zooming out yeah how it can be described because yeah. I always had a problem with it yeah, you know, yeah not to be able to say what it is yeah because I've worked in so many different industries yeah and in different contexts yeah so what I have discovered is that what I do is to identify different elements yeah. and reorganize what's in there depending on the context. Yeah. So it can be material things, it can be people, or it can be a, a product. Yeah. Mm. And those elements, so some of them are sort of tangible things and some of them are maybe like concepts or yeah. ideas? Yeah. Okay, so then, and that sort of permeates whether you're working in a teaching environment or a making environment or a design studio or those? Yeah, um, I guess it's still quite vague, isn't it, what what it is? Yeah. And I think there's a kind of criteria, you know, when I am like undoing things and then reassemble or reconfiguring. Yeah. I think what I am having in mind is to have a coherence in things that yeah. I put together yeah. that really just resonates with me as something that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. And do you think that that kind of approach of like sort of undoing things and seeking certain um, essences, do you think that stems back to things you did as a child or do you think that's something that you've learnt, um, I guess, as an adult or like throughout your working like your professional life or I think it definitely goes back to my childhood yeah because I think it was largely a very sensing world yeah but at the same time I loved stories yeah you know reading huge amount of books yeah so I guess I had a sense that the material world and environment and story world yeah they have similarity or this shared sense of uh narrative or coherence within it yeah you know that I could feel yeah 
and I can say that now that how you feel about something as a response to experiencing things, things or ideas, yeah, is the same thing as where it happens. It's yeah. your sense response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it doesn't matter what forms the information comes into yeah. you. It's a sensory ex- uh, information. Yeah. Or stimuli. Um, so you maybe absorb see. it in a different form, but it still informs you in a particular way. Yeah, I think I didn't distinguish the two worlds, yeah. the world of ideas and world of things. Yeah. To me, it has always been the same. Yeah. Mm. I guess ideas are kind of... Th- uh, things are kind of ideas in a material form in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, yeah, that's how I saw it. Yeah, yeah. It, um, so then, has that given you a particular like kind of approach or or mindset when you're looking for things to work with now? When you're looking for materials to work with or objects to work with? Yeah, I think I have to mention one thing. Um, before we move on, yeah. that I always talk about this, but this experience of going to this um, National Museum of yeah. Ethnology. I think that was my early education. Mm-hmm. And it's always been something I go back to. Like It created the baseline for me. What kind of things do they have in that museum? So they have... It is a little bit like a um, British museum. Yeah. Or okay. like Museum of Mankind. Yeah. So they had a huge collection of artifacts, you know, tools and ritualistic objects. Mm. And but at the same time they had a huge collection of videos oh, that wow. shows how these yeah. things are made. Yeah. And what people did with these things. Mm. So for me it created like a full circle, you yeah. know, of kind of brought the objects making sense. Yeah. Um, but also, without watching those videos, objects themselves to me looked like they made sense. Yes. Because they were very, I think the closest word is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> but not in a, always a conventional way. That They spoke to me really yeah. quite clearly as their presence. And I think that's what I was always looking for yeah. when I was working in design or craft. You know, yeah. I wanted to create that kind of coherence with an awareness that the whole world that is attached to this, you know, making of of this thing, yeah. or maybe these objects have a place in the world in a way that made sense. Yeah, yeah. So, like a presence beyond their direct purpose. Hmm. Yes, but yes, but that's how I saw it. But yeah. then, when you feel that there is a purpose behind yeah. it, you yeah, know, yeah. like real meaning. So they, I could, I guess, sense the connection between the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, I guess then that explains a bit what I was kind of asking, like how you, I guess, how you developed that the approach that you have now and your sort of sensibility towards um, the materials or the objects that you work with. Mm. Um, Maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you kind of choose those materials, like um, the particular pieces of wood 
that you work with or um, um, the surfaces that you apply to them or the ways that you, you intervene with them? Hmm. I think these ones, I don't have much kind of thinking mm. applied. And I think my sense of making choices and decisions have developed as I was teaching yeah, or working with others, yeah. um, not just teaching, actually, like yeah. de- helping others develop their ideas. Yeah. And that is a lot of postgraduate teaching is more helping people. Yeah. But ideas, even right? before when yeah. I was working in the design studio. Oh, yeah. OK. A big part of my work was to be part of the development and research yeah. part. So almost like interpreting ideas into material ways or looking at finding ideas through, you know, like existing solving, problem solving, manifested in material forms. So like going both ways. So unraveling. Yes. And I think because I was doing that before I started teaching, I was doing the same with the students yeah. if I look back on it now yeah you yeah know? so like looking at the elements and patterns and and finding what are the core bits that you want to carry on to the next stage yeah. and um, then um, I w- applied I guess to that way of working yeah to what I do yeah more consciously yeah and that's a more recent thing like taking it into your own studio practice. Yeah. And how do you think that works? Or can you tell us a bit about how that works in your, yeah. in your studio now? So that one is maybe more about consciously becoming more open and receptive. Yeah. So the job is done almost without me. <laughs> yeah. And this that you're is just the body that it kind of comes through, as in. Yeah, I think because I've done quite a bit of research on creativity. Yeah. And uh, I know that a lot of um, research really says in writing this state of openness and receptivity is the key to let creativity to yeah. flourish, you know, and to come in. And I think that's what I do. And when it actually happens, I just get ideas and sort of almost like instructions. Yeah, you know? yeah. I can envision what something can become. Yeah. When I see a thing with um, its own possibilities. Yeah. And if my mind is really busy, I can't see it. Yeah. You know. So do you have ways of like sort of stilling or, or quietening your mind in order to let those kind of thoughts come through or those emotions come through to do the yeah. do your work yeah so i just have to really pay attention to my own state of mm. being i meditate mm. and that seemed to help yeah and because you know what it feels like when you are in tune and you can kind of quickly guide yourself to be in that state yeah and that's what i have been doing in the last few years really yeah mm. Do you think there's a way that those objects communicate that outwards once you've finished working with them? Mm-hmm. Like, do you think there's a that's a sort of readable aspect to them to other people, or do you think that it 
maybe I don't know whether it's a matter of attunement again or or conversation along with them because you're quite you're quite social about some aspects of your practice that you'd like to explore and discuss ideas around it so do you think that that's that sort of helps the objects make sense in the world or do you think they Hmm. or maybe it's not a clear division like that I don't know that's not a clear question <laughs> but no I, I know what you're talking about but I think maybe thinking about your audience mm. I need to explain a little bit more mm. of what I do because if you never see my work yeah I don't think this you can imagine what it is yeah so if I'm working with like some found bits of wood yeah you know that's got some features uh, or particular lines and forms what I do is to reorganize um, so you mean unprocessed wood, as in a piece yeah, of, like tree found, branches, or yeah, it can be uh, off cut from yeah. somewhere. You know, yeah. what I see is um, possibilities within it. So without me doing anything, there's something that can become enhanced. Yeah, and I can see just by tidying up the bits. You know, they cut off some of the I I see as noise. Yes, you know, small bits, and then. Maybe there's one or two key movements in the the thing, like that's expressed through like curves and parallel lines and yeah. angles. And I know that if I chop off just the tip of it and change its angle or something, yeah, it somehow makes something else to come more visible. Yeah, and become maybe present in some way. Yeah, and. What I have been testing is to see whether people can sense something through these changes that yes. I make. And what I notice is that once I made a volume of work like this, you know, in working in this way, there it creates some sense of coherence and peacefulness. Yeah. Or people could tell how I make decisions and choices and they interpret it as something that's invested and and it's got the thoughtfulness to it that's what I have been told but when they are you think that 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 um that you think that message is kind of more clear when they're grouped together when you can see yeah I think so a bit like uh what was the word I was just thinking a murmuration you know sort of um, (laughs) all together moving amongst each other Yes, I guess that scheme becomes more visible. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, somehow you start to see the the bigger picture. Yeah, because you see a variety, you know. Although each one's slightly different. Yeah, I mean I do wood carving, but also I have other things. Yeah, you know. And I think for me also, I needed to see if there's anything that connects everything I do together. Yeah. Um, you know, furniture to lacquer work to sculpture because mm. some things look like they are like uh, everyday objects that yeah. you might be able to use and some are quite abstract forms Yeah, that's almost like what you find in nature. Mm. So it's quite hard to tell sometimes how much is my work yeah. and how much is my eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And some works are really worked on and some are just got a really very small amount of yeah. intervention from me. Yeah. So the whole spectrum. Yeah. yeah. 
the sort of the I guess the physical intervention in the actual piece, but then you are also choosing to position it in a certain space and in a certain way. So yeah. that kind of I guess um adds another layer to the intervention in a lot of Yeah, ways. I think it was very important for me to have the whole spectrum of my mm. work that might have like huge kind of crafted elements to something that's almost like just found things mm. so that you can or I can position my craftsman self yeah. in the bigger picture of the whole force of nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's what I have been doing. Yeah. You know? So like we think these skills belong to us, but it we belong to this whole yeah. <laughs> things always changing its forms. Yeah, just stewarding things along the way. Yeah. And I really do feel it when I'm using the skills I have acquired. Yeah. To manipulate something. Yeah. There's no self almost. Yeah. And yeah. it's a quite commonly taught or spoken about state of being in Japan mm. when it comes to craft. That's how it's often understood. Yeah, like that's a, a whole narrative of around this discipline. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. And where do you think then your repair work fits in that? Because you're you're sometimes commissioned to repair obviously things made by other people that the owners want repaired in the particular way that you can repair them like how does your sort of ethos or sensibility feature in that because again it's almost somewhere where you can almost not exist like let the kind of work flow through but then there's also a particular approach that you take to it an aesthetic that you bring to your mending work you mean kintsugi well, but you're not necessarily using gold all the time, are you? No, no. So but uh, I mean, you know, kintsugi as practice. Yeah. It doesn't mean using gold all the time, so uh, it's fine to call it kintsugi. Okay. Yeah. And um, because it's, uh, I'd rather not to call it repair. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah. with your kintsugi work, mm-hmm. um, how do you think that that kind of way of thinking or way of working feeds into that? Yeah, so, okay, it's like a lacquer work mm. um, itself. And it's, again, I think for me, it, this practice sits in this idea of, you know, me being part of things always changing its forms. Yeah. And in this category, my craft skill plays bigger role than yeah. some others. And But I'm my commission, the commission's, I get yeah tend to give me quite a bit of freedom yeah in terms of how I mend it yeah or how I approach it yeah and so I can make suggestions you know in terms of uh, how the finish is done yeah but it is much more about working with the breakage and again seeing the object in the way that it can become Mm. So in that way, it's very similar to me seeing a, a piece of wood telling me how what it can become. Yeah. 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 So you're kind of looking at what is there, but I guess you're also having to listen to the external input of like whoever's object it is or mm. how they want to live with that thing. It's actually not so much. No? 
Yeah, I do think about it. Mm. You know how it was made, because that becomes very um, visible, isn't it? Yeah. When something breaks. Yeah, yeah. You know the kind of decisions being made to make that thing. Yeah. Shows more, um, and the nature of the material, etc. Yeah. But for me, it is much more about really being present with the the lines that's yeah. there, yeah, and with the material. Um, of course, I do think about the history of that object mm. beyond the history of the ownership. Yeah, you know, because I, I mean, they are mostly ceramic objects. Yeah, uh, that w- I I work work on with this method. Yeah. So I do often think of the whole history of ceramic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in the picture of humanity. It's a huge it's a huge thing to think through. Yeah, so in that way it's such a wonderful practice to be to 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 do. Yeah. Because I like seeing myself in really big picture yeah like, as bigger the better yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. like working with wood is very similar yeah you know yeah it's a huge discipline a huge field to be yeah within. i think you feel freer in a way in yeah. that in that way in that perspective yeah you know and that's what i like it's funny that kind of how that linking to different um to such a bigger picture where you can sort of link um with methods or with particular aesthetics or eras or techniques or you know whatever how sort of knowing that that kind of mesh of information that stretches like way beyond you know way in front way behind you can actually give you a sense of freedom when it sort of conceptually it sounds like it could kind of tie you down but actually I think you're right like knowing knowing that something has not quite always existed, but has kind of always existed and will exist way beyond you, kind of leaves you at liberty to do your bit within that discipline your way, doesn't it? Yeah, I I hear that all the time. I mean, when people talk about sublime or like sensible, like when they are or we are Mm. in, say, like looking at the stars, that kind of thing, um, there's a true, to me, like sense of, liberation yeah it, it's very similar to being in meditative state yeah and um but also i'm constantly you know um almost in in awe yeah yeah <laughs> thinking about how things break and how actually line the lines that you know the breakage yeah deliver us yeah is so seem to be beautiful yeah like flowing oh yeah you know there's no awkward lines if you yeah if something breaks by itself yeah something's broken naturally yeah not by itself yeah it happens too but But of it's sort of broken in the way that it wants to break yeah yeah and and then i'm working with it because there is some choice for me like you know how how sick the line will be how how to make its its own flowing lines yeah there's a quite a bit of choice for me do you have to like physically step back from it i mean this was something i was going to ask about um before actually but you know that sense of 
allowing yourself a bit of physical distance from an object to be able to kind of assess it because often when we're working with things we're kind of at maximum we're kind of arm's length from them but um whether you ever like you know physically step away from the object to be able to kind of see it in in the context not directly in front of you oh that's an interesting question yeah i don't really think about that no no I do look at the object to see if it makes sense with the yeah. new, new line as a thing. And what I'm seeking in that is that response within internally. Yeah. Um, if it's, it makes sense or not. And I have my own system of knowing yes or yeah. no. It's yeah. very sensorial. Yeah. Uh, apparently it's called interoception. Oh yeah, interoception. Yeah. Yeah. It's sense of aliveness. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it, it's expansive. Yeah. And it it animates in some way. Yeah. Like I feel feel that. Yeah. And I think that goes to everything that I do. Like that's very much related to how I make decisions when I'm making something. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, thinking about your studio space where you have a sort of one quite tall wall with a shelf along it and then some objects that you tend to sort of pin to the wall above it and whether that's that I guess also gives you that uh, thinking space around them like the ability to kind of view them and see whether they have that the liveness or the rightness that you're looking for yeah I think that format happened to be there when Mm. I moved there so I I used it that way. Yeah. But I can do that with any situations. Yeah. You know, like any structural yeah. element. So it's not a sort of environmental no. thing necessarily. No. Yeah. Yeah. That um that sort of way of working for me is like removing yourself from the scenario because I was thinking about how sometimes when meditates or stops to pause or goes into a sense of flow with your work you know, you kind of remove yourself from constructed senses of time, right? And also if you think about yourself as part of a bigger bigger picture or the biggest picture you can possibly envision, like you were saying, you know, then it kind of removes you from the centre of things as well. And I think that's quite that sort of idea of removal or like, I guess, like slightly distancing it so it's, it's still like hyper personal, but maybe it's less personal, yeah, less centered around yourself. That idea of removal is just quite interesting. Like, it, it's I don't know. There seems to be something in there. I don't know if you you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I I guess it's not really like removal. It's yeah, it's about not quite the right, connect, word, right Connecting. Yeah. Connecting with the rest of the things. So like, yeah. if you, yeah, remove anything, if anything. Mm. It's this boundary, I guess, or like um, preconceived ideas about yeah. anything, just to have the willingness to understand, the openness to understand yeah. everything that comes into your consciousness almost. Yeah. And I think if I bring this into your discussion of care, mm. I think it is the relevant part, you know, yeah. like willingness to understand and connect yeah and i think what i have been trying to like what i have been exploring and seeing in what i do 
more consciously now yeah is that part because yeah. i think that i could somehow see there's a connect connection between being open and receptive as you i find in my own practice and others finding solutions or to gain understanding about things yeah and my question towards the end of my teaching career I mean I haven't finished yeah <laughs> but um was how I can bring that into into that you know yeah so I wanted to understand it better as a practitioner yeah mm. um did you I mean I guess it's an ongoing question really right mm. like it's almost unanswerable there's so many answers that could bring that in yeah yeah my question is how can I stay searching for this <laughs> mm. looking for I mean I mean like answer itself is not yeah. really an important part you know to want to understand it you yeah. know how can I share this process yeah, yeah. of moving towards it um and to invite others to be on board yeah and I think there's something really powerful about being in this journey yeah and I think it's it's really important yeah you know for us to have this at least the awareness to be open yeah is to understanding or to yeah. be willing you know and I think that's something that goes towards anything yourself or to others yeah um it yeah. definitely seems to be something that needs to be cultivated. Absolutely, and then that's what I felt like it's needing needed in education, mm. for sure, from early on. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, because we live in quite a, a fragmented world in a lot of ways, you know, and your attention is, the ability to pay attention is quite often under attack by a multitude of of things. And I think working out ways of of almost like protecting that openness as well and protecting that ability to to focus and to involve yourself with mm. with objects and with making and with the bigger picture of those things it's quite i think it can be quite difficult for a lot of people i think there's a lot of like noise around yeah there. and i think that's why i'm just thinking about how my bringing gave me that sense of discerning you mm. know what's constructed and what's there mm. maybe there are a few other things that really helped me yeah um i learned to play piano mm. when i was very young yeah and i was asked to like separate out different sound oh yeah okay so that's one thing you mm. know you you realize music is like collection of different notes that yeah. you can actually separate out so I had the game I made myself you know when I listen to music I hear different instruments separately yeah. kind of thing but also I was in theater you know and that again like we had we read the story and then we create um, different elements of yeah. the story using different senses so like we had different groups like de dealing with language mm. movement and sound and then rotating around yeah 
So I think that really helped me to understand, you know, like everything is small components. Yeah. And you can group them in different ways to experience something different. Yeah. And making things is very similar to that. Yeah. It calls for your, that, your attention in that way. Yeah. So that's why it's the more successful thing small children or anyone yeah. can do. But I think it needs to be consciously delivered yeah in this way that how that would help people cultivate this sense of uh being able to discern you know what is actually just there yeah as it is yeah and what is actually projected yeah or consciously grouped with this particular narrative yeah so that part i felt like is missing when i was teaching yeah we can definitely build more resources for that yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and do you think that just because you mentioned language do you think that there are ways of expressing that through words or do you think it has to be communicated in different uh, like you know it has to be communicated more experientially than that i think a combination would be really helpful because mm. i have also done i have been doing research on language mm. as you know yeah, yeah. my last great curatorial project was about language yeah. because i was always interested in this how language guides you how you organize the information yeah. you perceive having well, how come from can be used to guide you as well hmm? how language can be used to guide you as well yeah exactly so having experienced you know two very distinctly different system of language mm. i and now having learned a few more mm. <laughs> how much as markers you know the language to conceptualize yeah. your experience is so different yeah then you i also realized that in making or designing we do use different kind of system of marking yeah. or conceptualizing ideas yeah. or conceptualizing set of actions or pattern of behaviors yeah um so i think it's best to combine the two together yeah. and also to understand that in our acting sensing world there are very many things that we use almost like language yeah so I think trying to heavily rely on, say, textual language yeah. is limiting yeah. as well as just trying to do the other side yeah, in yeah, yeah, the yeah. other way. Yeah. So again, that was something I felt like I, we, we could explore yeah. much more yeah. to combine the two together. But with an understanding that if you say language, there are so many different approaches you yes know, because yeah. i would say japanese language is not so made for structuring your ideas yeah but it's better with expressing senses yeah so it's much more aligned with uh, the way of interacting with the world through senses yeah but then say english will give you much more of a structures you know of yeah. the ideas maybe it makes it a little more line like yeah so it doesn't quite 
capture holistic way of understanding yeah. something that's constantly moving. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I think Japanese language, I felt like it gives you a bit more freedom yeah. of relational elements. Yeah, yeah. As they are still alive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But then it's quite hard to, you know, um, use it to analyze things or, yeah. you know, rationalize. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So maybe like combining, I don't know, it's another sense of being like open, isn't it? Like open to different ways of um, engaging with words or with language to be able to express the things that you need to express at the time you need to express them yeah i think so it is you know it works in two ways isn't it language one is for you to organize your thinking yeah and the other is to communicate yeah so the more aware you are you know how you're using language as tool the better yeah you become and i think as a practitioner as well you yeah know, you i think definitely for me it helped me to understand what i do or yeah. how i work um having worked in this language yeah english language yeah much more than japanese language mm, that's know, interesting so, yeah and i think i always had quite analytical mind yeah you know i i was very observant so I quite like using this language to organize my thinking. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, if I have to speak like I do in English, I, it's in Japanese, it would be quite hard. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that sense of organizing as well kind of comes back to your practice too, of like sort of being able to um, organize approaches and practices and thoughts and then also being able to shuffle them and reorganize them and reorder them you know and, um whether that's sort of materially or whether it's like you were saying like in a curatorial approach or in writing or discussing work or ped- pedagogically as well like sort of that um i guess maybe then in some ways that plays into slightly more the relational thing that you were talking about with yeah with yeah language, definitely you can kind of yeah move things around yeah so what i have become aware of is that yeah like i'm always working with relational mm. elements yeah that constantly present different possibilities to to be seen as something yeah. to be understood and i think i have been really trying to come up with my own way of working yeah. effectively to yeah. engage with that and creatively yeah so i think my task have always been to keep maximum you know like room for flexibility receptivity yeah at the same time keeping intact my tool to have good organized understanding of these moving things yeah yeah yeah. you know like Hard of cats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's possibly easier than herding cats, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's I find it really satisfying. Yeah. You know, work, once I become much more aware of this is what I'm doing. Yeah. It 
comes back to almost like this sense of satisfaction you get when you're making something. Yeah. And something that you find really just as making sense. Yeah. Solving problems. Yeah. That sort of just uh, joy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Kind of caring to find the answers and being open to more than one answer. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and also just really being aware that to be in this journey or, you know, in the process of trying to find a solution yeah itself is what it is that you are doing yeah that's most important thing yeah because you know being in the design world i knew i mean i discovered that there's always infinite number of solutions for a problem and the whole point really is to understand the problem through trying to find the solution yeah (laughs) yeah yeah that's why there's so many chairs in the world right yeah (laughs) But then we can use that, you know, yeah. way of seeing things in many different things. So I think I have learned quite a lot from my early research into design thinking. Yeah. As well as creative thinking, which is bigger than that. But they are very much in my practice yeah. combined together and, and you know, it, it really fulfilled a good purpose of me just generally trying to understand things. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. it yeah. gives you the ability to sort of zoom in and zoom out on things, doesn't it? If you can understand how design thinking works or how thinking about a particular practice works and then you can like zoom into what you're doing specifically and then zoom out to what you do on a, you know, in the whole um, umbrella of your practice and you can kind of yeah I think so I really feel like uh, letting my sensing self take the driving seat sometimes mm. but also knowing when to change the mode to more structured way to see things yeah. it's almost like uh, having a lot of different kinds of frames to you know yeah. like a look at things so yeah. then you start like to see something you didn't see glasses before glasses that you get the opticians where they slot yeah. the different yeah. lenses in and out yeah so i think yeah. those two parts really works you know hand in hand yeah. in my practice and i think that's something i have been consciously developing yeah you know yeah, yeah. that was really interesting and thank you very much for sharing your thoughts on that thanks Bridget. really enjoyed it. Good, me too. (laughs)